Assalamualaikum. My name is Sofia Mela. I grew up in Irvine. It's a small city in Orange County, California, in Southern California. And after high school, I moved to Houston to go to the University of Houston. I got my Bachelor's of Science in Math and my Master's in Education. And for a while, I taught high school before I decided it wasn't for me. Then I did a career switch and became an instructor uh, at NASA, working as a contractor. And there I trained astronauts and flight controllers. And I have been working there for about 14 years now. I have one son, and he's a handful, but he's awesome. Okay, so that was Shadow. Um, his full name's White Shadow, but we call him Shadow for short. My son originally wanted a black cat to call him Shadow, but we ended up with this one. who's mostly white, and he was like, all right, we'll just call him White Shadow. So he may join us on and off throughout this interview. Um, so I decided to start wearing hijab in high school. Before that, I did not. I think it was 10th or 11th grade when I made the decision. No one in my family, immediate family, wore hijab, so it was kind of a surprise to everybody. And um, even for me, because I never considered it before then, but one summer, I just remember thinking like and questioning, like, what do I believe? Why do I believe it? Is it just because I grew up with it? So I started exploring different belief systems. Um, and just part of that exploring, that journey, uh, kind of led me closer to my own faith. That's what I kept coming back to the more I learned about other faiths and my faith. And then uh, the decision to wear hijab just kind of evolved naturally with that. I don't remember a specific like aha moment, but trying to actually make the decision of, okay, today's the day I'm going to wear hijab. That was, I remember thinking, oh, what are people going to think? Is it going to be weird? Is it going to be awkward? Um, but it was, it turned out to be very anticlimactic. <laughs> Nobody cared for the most part. These are, you know, people I'd been going to school with for years. Uh, I enjoyed school um, growing up, um, but since I had really enjoyed math and I really admired my math teachers, I felt like that would be something that I could do. And when I looked up the graduation requirements for that, it required getting a math major. And I was worried and scared about whether I'd be able to do that or not. But I wanted to do it enough that I said, well, it's worth trying. I'll give it my all. If it doesn't work, then you know, at least I don't have to sit and wonder what if. And I went for it, and alhamdulillah, it was great. Had some awesome teachers. Really loved the topic, especially once I got past calculus. I, I discovered a whole new type of math that I really enjoyed. Um, so that was a fun discovery along the way. And to help with my teaching part that I wanted to do, my capstone was getting, um, was for secondary education. So that's how I graduated with my teaching certification along with a bachelor's of science in math. I graduated summa cum laude, which I was really proud of. I worked really hard 
being a mom at the time to a young one trying to juggle being a parent and going to school so but it was worth it uh, even looking back now it was a lot of work but I'm really glad I went for it yes. so after high school I decided to move to Houston because I was getting married I had decided to also get married and um, my fiance at the time was in Houston going to school here and I looked at the schools and decided I could also go to school in Houston, go to the University of Houston and so that's what initially made me move to Houston. Yes, I got stuck here. <laughs> it was never the plan. Uh, I wanted to, original plan was to move back after finishing school but then um, after I graduated and started working especially after I stopped teaching and transitioned to teaching at NASA. I loved my job and I've been here doing that since then. So my job at NASA can sometimes be hard to explain. I'll do my best. Um, with my background being a math major, that's one of the things they look for. You don't have to be an engineer. They look for technical things. So you could be physics. Um, different types of engineers and math also qualified me and then with my educational background that also helped because I was going to be an instructor I was going to be teaching astronauts and flight controllers and my systems I originally started in the communications and tracking systems which is CMT that's a common acronym I think we speak in acronyms so I may start using acronyms without thinking about it and so I first had to go through training myself. Um, it's about 18 months of training to learn all the technical systems. And then after that, um, you know, I started teaching uh, and eventually picked up a second system, the command and data handling system, which is CDH. And so now I teach both of those systems. I am currently also uh, got assigned recently as the Artemis II instructor lead. Artemis is uh, the vehicle that's going to take us back to the moon. And that's going to be the first crewed flight, test flight, uh, back since the Apollo era. So I'm really excited about that. And I'll also be uh, studying to be a flight controller for that flight, which is what we call uh, INCO backroom. So I forget what INCO stands for. <laughs> at the time but it's an acronym and uh, it's one of the one of the flight controller positions for the Artemis program so uh, what attracted me to NASA uh, was when I found out that you know they had something where it was teaching astronauts and flight controllers I didn't even originally realize that that was a thing it wasn't even on my radar I grew up watching Star Trek and like space was a big deal for me when I was little. It was just fascinating. Even when I was um, at school at University of Houston for my science electives instead of taking biology or physics I opted to take astronomy and geology because the astro sciences and the earth sciences just fascinated me. And at the time, you know, no, no inkling, no thought of actually working at NASA, but then looking back and seeing how I was able to just bring that together 
and actually be able to work there is great. Um, when I was little, I was kind of a tomboy. I was the oddball out, the black sheep of the family, um, which made for some very interesting and difficult and conflicting times um, sometimes. But as I grew up and I became more independent and was able to make my own decisions, things that I wasn't able to do when I was younger, I started taking advantage of being able to make my decisions and do them. One of them I remember thinking to myself when I was growing up is wanting to take karate when my brother was taking karate, but I was not allowed to because I was a girl. And then I would try to practice with him, but one time I used one of the moves against him, and <laughs> so that stopped him teaching me what he would learn. And so when I got older, uh, you know, started working, I'm done with school, I wanted to, one day it just occurred to me like, hey, I could, you know, I have some time. My son's a little older now. He's in school and maybe I should see what I want to do. And one of the things that I chose to try was karate. I told myself I was going to go sign up for this one month free class and just see how it goes. And I ended up loving it and sticking with it ended up going all the way to getting a black belt and I'm also a huge Japanese anime fan and there's a lot of martial arts anime that I watch and I was pleasantly surprised to see how much I could tie in from the martial arts I was learning to the concepts in anime especially a lot of the fighting techniques and names, um, different philosophies. So it was cool to be able to have it, you know, not just learn martial arts within this little box, but also kind of see it within a bigger cultural context. So my journey to fashion is a very winding, twisting, interesting one. Growing up, uh, I do remember getting a sewing machine and my grandma teaching me how to make clothes for my Barbie dolls. And that was, you know, probably elementary school where life's awesome. You know, it's a uh, very innocent. I don't really don't care what I wear, but I enjoyed dressing up my Barbies and making clothes for them. And as I got older, uh, especially in the middle school years, late elementary school years, uh, for my family, modesty became more of a thing because I was getting older, and so a lot of the conflict started to arise around what I could wear, things I would pick out at the store. I was told, no, you can't wear that, that's too tight, or that neck's too low, or you know, those jeans are too tight, can't wear shorts, and just that whole experience and anytime having to go to the store but not being able to find something that my family was okay with, but I wanted to wear because it, it looked cute and that's all I saw. So it just was very negative. And for a while, I just did the best that I could. Um, then in high school, when I decided to start wearing hijab, that kind of had some domino effects for myself, was learning, okay, what else does 
wearing hijab mean? What is that, you know, more of a, what does that modesty encompass besides just putting a piece of fabric on, you know, covering my hair? And, you know, my family's, what they wanted me to wear, that went away. But now it felt like I was struggling with what I could even find in a normal store. I couldn't go to Target and pick up a shirt and be able to wear it. Like, no kidding, most of the time there would be very, very limited, maybe one or two pieces. And, you know, the chances of those one or two pieces being something I wanted to wear, it's just became very difficult. So I did my best, like my fashion style definitely bombed for a while. And eventually it got to the point where I was like, I'm done. I stopped caring about trying to find anything in more mainstream outlets. And so I turned to more international options, options such as finding Arab abayas, uh, the long flowy dresses that I could easily wear without having to worry about, is it too tight? Are the sleeves too short? Is it gonna be, um, you know, too thin, see-through? So that was one way that I solved my problem, but it definitely didn't help me in terms of what I felt was my identity. Um, so after a few years of wearing abayas, jobab, stobes, more of those international fashions, uh, especially once I got close to graduating and I was like, okay, now I have to go into the workplace. How do I want to make this transition? Um, you know, for me, it was important to figure out what that transition was going to mean. I didn't feel like myself when I wore them, but I was also very much aware that there are, you know, other people, non-Muslims, especially here in the U.S., have misconceptions about them and do view those things differently. So there was a lot going on in my head trying to figure out what do I care about, what do I worry about um, for job interviews. I was given advice, hey, you know, don't wear your hijab to job interviews because people were worried that I wouldn't be able to even get a job just because I was wearing a headscarf. So there was a lot to kind of consider, but what I ultimately decided to do was revisit that original struggle, that original conflict challenge of what do I feel comfortable in? What do I feel represents me? What is my identity? You know, especially as a person who grew up here, is American, um, but also has a different cultural identity of growing up with a Pakistani cultural background. So I had to do a lot of self-reflection, a lot of exploring. And so I started experimenting slowly going back to the stores, trying to figure out, okay, if I wear this top with these bottoms and this jacket or uh, this undershirt, what, what's going to work? So I had to do a lot of trial and errors and it wasn't easy. <laughs> Some of my decisions I look back on and I'm like, hmm, could have done better there. 
But I look back at all of those fondly because, you know, it's just me struggling, trying to do my best. But I discovered that, you know, by experimenting, some things would work and they would click. And that was a great feeling. So as I started experimenting with just like normal everyday wear fashion, uh, that kind of started to grow into me looking at other options. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I did not wear graphic t-shirts for the longest time. Um, but as I started learning more, learning how to dress myself and feeling good about it, um, I started look, you know, more things just started becoming available to me, more options. I remember one of the earliest things that I did that I, for some reason, like, it was just new to me, but I really wanted to, was starting to do cosplay. That was something I didn't see other hijabis doing. But I thought it was really cool to see, you know, someone dress up as uh, anime character they liked. And I thought I would love to be able to do that. But none of the anime characters wore hijab. So that added like an extra layer of trying to figure out how I was going to do that. So I wrestled with that for a long time, trying to decide what character, is this even a thing? What are people going to say? Like that's a recurring theme for sure. And eventually, um, I decided to just go for it and try it. There was a Japanese festival happening. And it's an annual festival. And one year, I decided I was going to do like a very small type of cosplay, nothing too extravagant. I remember designing my own hijab pin that had symbols from the anime. and making a jacket, sewing on patches from the anime series so that I had like a outfit that I could wear because none of the stuff I looked around to um, buy was, I was like, I don't know how to wear that. So I just kind of put some stuff together by myself. And I went to the, the festival, the Japanese festival, and a friend went with me. She was so supportive that, you know, that made a big difference also so that I didn't Feel like I was going alone and I had some support but that was a great experience and one of the things that really surprised me that I think helped was the fact that other people saw it and were surprised enough and happy enough to come approach me and compliment me on um, like the scarf pin the hijab pin that I had made because they recognized the symbols from the anime and that opened up a conversation, a door there, uh, an opportunity to relate. And, you know, there, there was a few of those types of experiences where it occurred to me that, you know, not only was it new for me, it was new for other people too, because they hadn't seen it before and they thought it was really cool too. So, you know, maybe there's negative um, experiences and I have had negative experiences surrounding, you know, wearing a headscarf and wearing hijab. But for some of these other positive experiences, that really helped give me the courage to keep going and just keep experimenting and trying and, you know, 
exploring what this what this means for me. It highlighted to me how important representation is and also one of the things that um, I'm gonna get emotional here uh, what occurred to me is growing up if I had been able to see more of these things it would have been great. So you know as I learned um, about myself and uh, fashion in general through experimenting on my closet and with cosplay and came to the realization more recently, you know, hey, it would have been really awesome to have a role model, have someone be able to help me and tell me what I can do. Um, you know, that wish kind of sparked a, well, now that I've gone through this journey, myself you know, maybe I can help someone else someone you know maybe a little me and help her and make it a little bit easier for her so that's what I wanted to do and so I decided to um, start a new journey to be a personal stylist for people um, you know specializing in modest fashion and helping them discover who they are helping them find their relationship with their fashion style. I didn't realize how connected the two things are, but clothes are something you put on every day. It's the face you show the world. It's the armor you put on when you go out there. And, you know, to help people show their best selves and show up for themselves also um, is, is a great thing to be able to help them do. And that's what I'm hoping to do. An interesting thing that came up as I, um, you know, was going through my own journey, especially with hijab, because it tends to be such a loaded word, especially in this country. I would meet women of other faiths, for example, Jewish women, and then I learned even Christian women, they cover their hairs in different ways sometimes but that's something that we all had in common but you know for whatever reason there was a hey Muslim women cover their hair this way and Jewish women cover their hair this way and Christian women cover their hair this way and every group was like kind of scared to look like the other which is weird that we attach so much to a head covering because we don't do that with other pieces of clothes I don't look at someone's shirt and go oh my god that's you know I can't wear that because that's what Jewish women wear or that's what a Christian woman would wear but for some reason the headscarf has taken on this identity of if you wear it this certain way that means you're gonna identify as Muslim or be identified as Muslim and so some you know other Jewish or Christian women will be like I don't want to do that and then you know maybe some Muslim women are gonna look at well that's how Christian women cover their hair and I don't want to you know do that I want to look Muslim so it's um, it just made me wonder like why we do that and do we need to do that and I mean, if you go far back enough in history, it's like all well, the <laughs> fashion changes. So it's not like this is all written in stone somewhere. 
Um, but that's one of the um, things that in my personal styling, I'm inclusive. I don't differentiate between Muslim, Jewish, Christian, or even people who aren't of those three faiths. I'm open to working with anybody as a human being. That's how I see myself and how I relate to other people is we're all human beings. And, um, you know, the headscarf is kind of like just one little piece of someone's identity. It doesn't need to be front and center. Even if you don't wear a headscarf, that's fine. I remember when I was looking for different headscarf styles, cancer patients have a completely different marketing. I think they're called cancer caps, but like for some reason they were trying really hard not to look too Muslim or, you know, other ways. Like it's, to me, I'm like, well, you should be able to wear whatever you want to wear. You shouldn't be worried about a stigma attached to something like that. In addition to my love for anime, uh, I eventually found K-pop, and this was before K-pop became mainstream, and K-dramas was another thing. That was thanks to online streaming. Uh, eventually, I managed to travel to Korea and Japan in separate trips, but it was really cool to be there and see the culture in like the actual country where it's from instead of just experiencing it through an anime or through a k-drama or through k-pop and i loved traveling it was scary because i was a single parent at the time and i was taking my son so i wasn't quite sure about making a trip by myself and having to keep up with my son but I really wanted to go and so I went for it I'm really glad I did um, my son him also being into anime Japan especially Tokyo that's where we went like both of us just loved that experience and we had so much that both of us enjoyed doing instead of you know me having my own little to-do list of things to do and him having his own to-do list of things to do there was a lot we could enjoy together that was that was a lot of fun definitely need to go back it's on my it's on my trip to get back there and then visiting seoul and seeing and being able to relate to so much especially um like landmarks that I had seen in K-dramas, that was a lot of fun. For both of those countries, you know, it's very obvious when I go there that I'm a foreigner, <laughs> that I'm not from there. Um, and the experience, for the most part, they're really welcoming people. Um, if I looked lost, they were like, okay, maybe we should help her. So someone would, you know, come and try to help. Um, English was a barrier. Sometimes they didn't realize I was going to speak English, so it would catch them off guard. I remember one time in Seoul, a lady came up to me. She had a little group of friends, and they all wanted to know where I was from. And when I told them I was from the US, they got mad. <laughs> I don't know why, but 
maybe they were like, she's lying or, you know, they just were hoping I was from some other place they really wanted me to be from. Yeah, it was funny though. A lot of people did get surprised when they were like, you're American? And, you know, that kind of made me go, yes, I am. <laughs> Not to them, but inside. It was kind of like, you know, having to constantly defend being American and have that identity challenged, had a different experience of it overseas, even though the overall experience was great, that piece happens to be just a constant thing that even now I am like, I'm American, but not everybody sees me as American. And so that's a constant challenge to have to live with. That's actually very common here in America for me. Uh, people question my American identity because I guess I don't look like what someone else's idea of American is. I grew up here, you know, and when people see me, a very common question is, where are you from? If I tell them I'm from Irvine or I'm from Southern California, that's not good enough for them. They're like, no, no, where are you really from? Or where are your parents from? Or what's your culture? And it's, you know, they may be, asking from a good place but at the same time they're assuming i'm not american because it's that's not a question everyone's going to get asked so by asking that it's kind of automatically telling me they've put me in a different category than they would an american and there's a lot more that would come with that then you know, what other assumptions are they making about me? What's left unsaid? What stereotypes do I have to break down or figure out how to get around before they can see me for who I really am instead of a filter that they are seeing me through? Because they clearly are if they're asking me that question. I've had experiences where people treat me normal and that highlighted how other how what I'm used to being treated isn't normal and it took me a while to realize that that was happening and that's also why a lot of women choose not to wear hijab or stop wearing hijab so it's uh there's definitely some interplay there with hijab but you know people of color we can't take off our skin color having people treat me as normal highlighted all the other times where I wasn't treated that way. You know, being asked where I'm from in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with the question. It's more along the context of when it happens and how it happens. If you're only asking a certain group of people that when you meet them and not others that kind of shows that you're making certain assumptions about a certain group of people and whether those assumptions are good or bad it's beside the point because you're making assumptions about them instead of getting to know the person you know you're you're seeing them through some sort of filter or some sort of preconceived idea of who they are and not who 
they actually are not getting the giving uh, or not having the time what am I trying to say or not taking the time to get to know them or giving them the opportunity to show who they are That's right.